So this journey that we're on of planting a new church began a few months ago. And we started by talking about our church's vision. You may recall that the vision describes the direction that we are headed as a church. And so our vision is to bring God's renewal to Bell County and the world. And that's the big picture. That's where we're headed. And then we talked about our, our mission. And our mission refers to our, our purpose, it describes why we are going in that direction. And so we've been considering as well that our church's mission, so we exist so that people will be made new in Jesus and grow in Jesus and be released into the world for Jesus. So this is, this is a purpose. This is a mission God has given to our church. And, and then we talked before we break for the holidays, talked about our, our strategy, our distinctly gospel-centered strategy. And we talked about how we have gospel-centered worship and gospel-centered community and gospel-centered growth and gospel-centered influence. And so these four key words of worship, community, growth, and influence are kind of like the GPS. It's our our map on how we're going to get there. So vision is where are we going? Where does God want to take us? And mission is, well, why are we going there? What is our purpose in going there? And then our strategy is, well, what are the directions? What's the GPS? Like, I need a map so I know how to get to accomplish that mission that God has given to us. And so today and next week, we'll be talking about our church's core values. You're thinking, well, what exactly are core values? Well, think of core values like guardrails on a road. Um, I lived in West Texas for several years. How many of you here are from West Texas? Anyone? Anyone from West Texas? No? Anyone been to West Texas? Okay. So in West Texas, there are no guardrails because you don't need guardrails because it's so flat and, and you can see literally for miles and miles and miles and there, it's, it's amazing how there's almost no guardrails. However, if you go into a mountainous terrain, ever driven in New Mexico or Colorado, anyone here ever done that? Okay. Are there guardrails on those roads? Yes. And when there's not, is that scary? I've, I've, I've had both. I remember when I was in, in Odessa serving at the time as a college and singles pastor and I took a, a big old huge bus load of college students up to New Mexico for a retreat. And I remember, and I'm not a great driver, like just for the record, ask my wife, she'll confirm this. Yes, so when you go from a two to a four, like, yes, you've improved, but you're still not good. Um, yes, it's improvement, but I digress. So I'm driving, and the church trusted me with this bus and all of these students, and so we're driving uh, in New Mexico for a retreat into these cabins, and I remember on this one mountainous road, and there were, like, no guardrails, and it was, like, really kind of freaky. It was like, okay, but you just, you try to stay on the road, but... Those guardrails are really helpful because, because the guardrails, what, what they do is they help you stay on track. And, and if you ever begin to like drift off the road, the guardrails 
are there to help you. They're, they're there to say, look, this is the path that you're going on. And so don't deviate from it. Stay on this road. And, and so what they do is they prevent you from driving off the road, off the mountain or off into a ditch. And so how many of us have ever, now don't name, but have you ever heard of or been around the church that you feel like, man, they've just kind of lost their way. Like this church maybe at one point had a direction and yet something, somehow, they've kind of just veered off the path. Like they lost their GPS coordinates, there were no guardrails and they've kind of drifted and they're off meandering and or they're maybe they've driven off into a ditch. And they're no longer on purpose, no longer on mission, no longer headed in God's direction, God's calling. They've gone off the path. Well, guardrails, these core values, are designed to keep us going on the path and headed down the road and fulfilling and pursuing the calling that God has uniquely given to renew a church. So I I have it there in your hand. I'll, I'll read this to you about core values. Our core values describe our philosophy of ministry as a church. So they bring clarity to the things that matter the most to renew a church. They guide how we seek to accomplish our mission and they impact how we make major and daily decisions. So in short, our values keep us focused on the unique call God has given to renew a church. So in order for us to know where we're going, the vision, why we're going there, the purpose, the mission, the strategy, well, what what road is it? That's the strategy. But then the core values say, well, this will keep us on that path and they serve as guardrails. So we're looking at these eight core values for today in brief and for next week. And we'll be discussing those in our home groups as well in the next couple of weeks. And so let's go ahead and read those core values. It's funny, I didn't even grab one of those papers. And so can I borrow Colton? Oh, he's awesome. I'll give it right back to you. So just, just so I can read it to you. So our values, number one, Jesus. So we value Jesus. He is God. All things were created by him, for him, and through him. He is the Alpha and Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. We exist for him. Our purpose is to worship him by enjoying him. We will be Jesus-centered in everything that we do as a church. So that's our value. We, of course, value Jesus. Second, we value the gospel. The gospel is God's message of good news that Jesus Christ came to live, die, and rise again for the forgiveness of sin. The gospel renews and brings redeemed sinners under God's gracious reign and will one day culminate with the renewal of all things. The gospel brings us back home to God for life that is truly life here and now. We will be a gospel-centered people. We value the gospel. We also value being biblical. Biblical. The scriptures of the Old and New Testament, being given by divine inspiration, are the word of God, the only infallible and inerrant rule of faith and practice. We will treasure the Bible, study it, and submit ourselves to its authority. All our teaching and preaching will be based on the Bible because the word of God leads us to know God himself. 
Fourth, we'll look at today, is we value people. Humans are the special creation of God, made in His own image. He created people as the crowning work of His creation. Despite our rebellion, God continues to love people and cause them to repent and run to Him. Since God values people, we value people, all of them. We celebrate diversity, we'll honor one another, and be a welcoming, hospitable church. So those are the four. The other four are commitments, multiplication, intentional, and simple. We will look at next Sunday. So there are many different texts in the Bible that we could go to. And, and if you look there in your handout, I actually listed multiple um, different references for each one of those key foundational, again, core values. But I really wanted to look at just one text that beautifully, powerfully describes all of these values in just one place. And that is Colossians chapter 1. Powerful text that describes these values. And so Colossians 1, reading from verses 13 through 23. He, of course, being Jesus, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through Him and for Him. And He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. And He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything He might be preeminent. For in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of His cross. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, He has now reconciled in His body of flesh by His death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before Him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Amen. God's word is breathtaking. Like this, this text revealed by God is designed to spur in us a sense of awe. Where God is revealing His infinite perfections and just, just how magnificent and how great His salvation for us is. And I think sometimes we need to just stop and just let God's Word really sink in. It's just profound. Let me just kind of give you a recap from verses 13 to 20 that we just read. Verse 13, he says that we have been rescued from slavery. I mean, just listen to this, that we were in slavery in this domain, this, this kingdom of darkness, this kingdom of Satan, and we have been rescued from that slavery and being in darkness and in Satan's domain his under his rule and we have been transferred saved from and now we're in the kingdom of light the kingdom 
of God. This is the kingdom of his son. So Christ's kingdom. And then he says, because of that, you now have redemption. What does redemption mean? Well, that is the price that had to be paid for a slave to be set free. And so redemption, what it means is the redemption price. So the, the price that it costs for a slave to be to be set free, that price was paid with Christ, with His blood. And so we have had our sins paid for. We're no longer enslaved. We're redeemed. We're set free. And it says you have the forgiveness of sins. And our enemy who would slander us and remind us of our sin and remind us of our failings. We look to the Word and God says, you are forgiven. And He has no authority. Satan has no power over you. You're not in His domain. You're not in His kingdom. You have been redeemed and you have been forgiven and deeply loved and treasured and welcomed by God. And it says that this Jesus who accomplished this, it says that He is the image of the invisible God, that He reflects God perfectly. And it says all things are created by Jesus, and so he was there in Genesis 1. Jesus was there in creation. He is the Word of God. And so what you have here is Jesus, everything was created by Jesus. All things were created through Jesus. All things were created, it says, for Jesus. And so he is the epicenter. He is the center and the purpose of all of creation. All exists by Him and through Him and for Him. He is not just another religious leader that stands next to the the religious leaders of human history. He stands alone and separate. He is the beginning and the end. He is Alpha and Omega. He's before all things. Before anything existed, Jesus was there. And it says that He even holds reality itself together. It says in, in Him all things hold together. And so even the very molecules, the very atoms that right now are spinning around in us and in everything, the chairs that you're sitting on and, and what's the roof is being held up, those atoms are in motion because Jesus is holding it all together. So all of reality itself, He created it, He sustains it. And so this is just showing us how magnificent our God is. So before all things, all things hold together, and He has focused all of who He is and what He is doing on a particular people. It says He is the head of the church. And so of everything that Jesus could have done, to display His glory, He chose to display it and to focus His purposes on you and me. That should leave us stunned at the immense value that God places on us. He's the head. He's the leader. He is the Lord, the King over His people. He is the head of our church, of the churches. He is the beginning So everything that began, began with Him. He has no beginning. He's infinite. But everything that exists had a beginning in Jesus. And it says that He is the firstborn of the dead. Now, don't let that freak you out. Like, what does that mean? That's weird. Firstborn, know the context. So let's talk about it for a second. Firstborn refers to a special place of honor, having authority. So a father would have a child. 
and that firstborn son would inherit the estate. So the firstborn refers to a seat of honor, a seat of authority. It refers to having um, rulership, so authority over the father's estate. Okay, so firstborn refers to having authority. And so what is the father's estate? The father who created everything. It's all his, right? He created, and so Jesus being the firstborn, having not physically born, he was born at first Christmas, but he's eternal. He became a human, but he's always existed. And so by being firstborn, that means that he has authority. He has rulership over everything that exists. So it refers to how it says here that he is preeminent, that he is sovereign and has authority over everything. So firstborn over the dead means that he has authority over what? Death itself. So understand what it's referring to. Jesus being the firstborn to place of preeminence and authority and, and being the ruler, he actually has authority over death itself. And he proved it how? In his own resurrection. And he continues to prove it how? By continuing to resurrect the dead. And he, that's what he does. We have a God that his specialty is resurrecting the dead. So, like our brother Fred, who is grieving with the loss of his father and grandfather from this week, and as a family, we're, we're going to be praying for them. We know that those who died in Christ will be resurrected. And yet, it's not just a future resurrection. Today and now, those who trust in Jesus are resurrected spiritually. And so this room, what you have is a gathering of people that have experienced the resurrection. We have been made new, brought to life spiritually. So understand, when it says, first one from the dead, he is over death itself and everything. He says that he is preeminent, so he stands alone, no idol can rival him. So it says, in, in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. So Jesus is God. And it says that he's reconciling all things to himself. He is making all things new. And we are the first fruits of Jesus making things new. Which is why God gave this name for this church, Renewal Church. Because that's what he's doing. He is renewing all things. It says that in him... Um, he's reconciling all things and he makes peace. Shalom. We have peace with God because of the blood of his cross. And so again, the sacrifice that made all of this possible. And it says that he presents us how? Holy and blameless. This is who we are. It says holy and blameless. And we can now approach the king of glory. And then it ends in verse 23. It says what? It says that we have did you see that? Let me read to you again. It's powerful. Um, if we continue in our faith, we'll be stable and steadfast. It says, not shifting from the hope, the hope of the gospel that has been proclaimed. And so this is who we are. We have hope, and we are those that proclaim hope. And so if there's anything that we can offer people, it's that. It's hope of the gospel, hope in God, and then if you look at verse 25, I know didn't read it, but verse 25 says that we have a stewardship from God. It says to make the word of God fully 
known. And so this text that we just read in our very briefly, I mean, we spent a lot of time on this text. But what you see here is these values that God put on my heart are from this text and many others like it that describe what a church should value. Why? Because this describes what God values. So because God values these things, we should value these things. And so we value Jesus. All things created by Jesus, through Jesus, and for Jesus. That's what this text says. And so nothing exists apart from Jesus. And everything that exists has one purpose, to display the glory of Jesus. So that includes Renewal Church. That includes us. We exist for this purpose of reflecting the glory of Jesus. So our purpose is to worship him. And how do you do that? You enjoy Him. And so as a church, we will be Jesus-centered in everything. Let me say that again. We'll be Jesus-centered in everything that we do. And if we ever do anything that is not Jesus-centered, then you need to come visit me right away. And so Pastor Matthew, what are we doing? Why are we doing this? This is not Jesus-centered. And then I'll say, yeah, we need to repent. Like, we need to call the service, and, and, and we need to have a prayer gathering, we need to repent. Like, this should not happen. There should never be anything that we do as a church that is not focused upon the glory of Jesus that we read about here in Colossians 1. We value Jesus. We value the gospel. We just read about this, describing him reconciling us, and he has brought us peace by the blood of his cross and the hope of the gospel. This is like... Throughout this whole text, you're seeing the emphasis of how he is the work reconciling people from all nations. And if you keep reading towards the end of this paragraph, he's describing that it's the Gentiles, people from all nations, that are being reconciled to God through the gospel. And so we are now near to God, and so we have this hope, and we are now called to go out and proclaim this hope so that others would join us and experience the joy of redemption and forgiveness and be part of a faith family. We value the gospel. The gospel brings us back home to a life that is truly life, but here and now, and it gives true joy. And so Renewed Church will be a gospel-centered people. We will hear the gospel, and we will love it, and believe it, and be shaped by it, and live our lives in lie of it, and, and share it to those that are desperate for God. We value the Bible. We treasure the Bible. We treasure it because the Bible is God's Word. It's God revealing Himself to us, saying, this is who I am, and this is who you are, and I love you, and I have a purpose for you. And so we love and we study and we submit to the authority of the Bible because it leads us to know God. And so we will be a biblical church. So every gathering as the whole church on Sunday morning, every meeting, every home group gathering, every everything that we do will always have a biblical focus and foundation. Otherwise, we're not doing it. If it's not biblical, we want no part of it. Even if it's a good thing, if it's not part of the main thing, and it's not biblical, 
We're not doing it. Guardrails. Remember that. This keeps us on the path. He has called us to go somewhere to spread God's renewal to Bill County and the world. And so for us to get there, we need to stay on the, on, on track and being biblical will prevent us from going off into a ditch. Staying straight, following his calling means being biblical. So all our decisions, so the big decisions and even the, the you might think small, just daily or weekly decisions, all of it will be looked through the prism through the filter of, is this biblical? We value people. You know, if you came here about an hour and a half ago, you would have seen Katie, who was practicing. Um, and being out of town, got back in last night, it was just her today, but usually she has a team, you know, with her. Um, and, and they practice. And it's the same room that you're in right now, but there's just one difference. The seats are empty. But they're singing the same songs that they will then sing and lead all of us into God's presence and to worship Him. And yet, there's a difference. There's a difference with the worship team being in an empty room with a bunch of empty chairs and singing. Now, is God being glorified as they're singing those same songs? Well, of course He is. But what's the difference? The difference is that God has designed us to be a people who together enjoy His presence and then Share it with the world. And, and so it is being with God's people that makes worship special and unique and set apart. It is people that Jesus came for. There is just something unique that is almost hard to put into words that is remarkably special about worshiping God as a people who know each other and love each other and the same the same purpose. Um, we value people because God values people. We're made in His image. And so we value diversity and we'll be hospitable. We celebrate together and we cry together. We welcome each other. And homes are the best place for this to happen. Um, but let's just be honest. This is not as easy as it sounds, is it? Sometimes this is really hard, especially in the home group. Now, I can think of lots of examples, but I'm going to pick one only because the reality of our launch team has a lot of young families and a lot of small children. So there's different parenting philosophies. I'm not going to talk today about which one's better or worse. Let's just leave it at there's just different parenting philosophies. That's a whole long conversation for a different day when we're down to the last five minutes. Um, but here's what I will say about that is when you have, say, five families and they all have young children, which is a lot of our home groups, um, it can be kind of hard, right? Like, let's just be real. It's challenging because you have some, some parents that their philosophy is, and the way God's made them, in order for me to be able to sit in this room, study the Word, and feed my soul, and hear from the Spirit, and have this home discussion be profitable, I need my kids in a different room. Like, I can't have my kids sitting on me, or tapping on my leg, saying, Daddy, Daddy. It's like, like me, I have a hard time with that. I, I personally, really, I can't hardly focus when that's going on. But there are people, the way God's made them, this is, I'm not saying this is bad, this is just different, that they're cool with it. Like, they're fine with the baby sitting on their lap, and 
babbling or whatever and they don't have a problem with that like they're good with it and they learn and they're they're in tune and they're hearing from the spirit and they're they're superhuman i think um but i'll just say that their personality in their home they they that's just how they roll so what happens in a home group when you have mom a and then you have mom b and they have different philosophies about that and and mom a is like you just put your child in bed? <laughs> Will you just make your child just be quiet? Will you just parent? But then mom B is enjoying it. She's like, oh, this is so great. My baby's right here with me. And the others are like, yeah, but we can't hear what's going on. Is this, is this real? Yes, this is real. This is just life. And it's normal messiness with different people. Different backgrounds, different homes. And so a home group, you know what it does? It opens the opportunity. So it provides the opportunity for mom A and mom B. And I say mom because dads are like, what, what's the problem? They're just like, fine, man. To go get a coffee and say, hey, you know what, man, I, lo- I love you, sister. But can we talk about what we're going to do in our home group? Because I'm just really distracted. It, it provides the opportunity to say, hey, we love each other. We're not mad at each other. We just want to figure out the best way where I can serve you. How can I meet your needs? And what can I do what's better for this home group and for my faith family? And then the other person to say, I want the same thing. What can I do to serve you? This is not normal. This is supernatural what's natural is peace out i'm done with this group like that's easy that's natural that's human nature the spirit of god does something different he says no go to your brother you go to your sister you work it out you do what's best for the family this displays the glory of god do you know what renewal church is designed to be it's designed to be a showcase It's designed to showcase what? The character of God. A forgiving and a welcoming church. A, they work it out church. They have unity. And in the world where you don't have that, where everyone is just looking out for their own, and then you see a people that are not looking out for what's best for others and to display their God's glory, what happens is the world takes note and says, there's something different about those people. We value people because God values people. Why we have our home groups has missional communities. The, the idea and what we're working on and we're learning early on here is of being communities that are truly missional. Why? Because God values people. He wants other people to come join so that they experience His presence fulfilled with their purpose. Our core values keep us on track on following God's unique calling for us. And each church is unique. Some churches don't have to worry about home groups because they just have Sunday school. That's fine. These issues will never come up in Sunday school. But our church, how we're made, how we're designed, it's going to look different. And our core values remind us, oh yeah, that's right. This This is the path that we're following. And so it is honestly a joy and a privilege to be a part of what God is doing here with Renewal Church. And so I pray that we'll be a church that 
who we are and how we live that is the display of his glory so that those that are far from God will be drawn by his spirit and join us in worshiping him alone who is 